I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Is anybody still out there? It's probably the right question to be asking right now. I mean, this team is becoming very difficult to watch. And it's crazy because this was a season 2020. We've got a global pandemic going on. And there was a point where it's just like, we need to watch football. We'll do anything just to watch a few games this year. Just don't cancel the season, please. And at this point, the way the New York Jets are playing, I think a lot of people wish the season just got canceled. We wouldn't have to watch this. I mean, I know a bunch of fans who are like, I- I'm having trouble watching this team right now. I may have to come back next year or wait until Sam Darnold comes back or Adam Gase is gone. I mean, there's not a lot of reasons to tune in to the New York Jets right now. And this coming after a 24-0 loss to the Miami Dolphins in Miami, Hard Rock Stadium at 4.05 last Sunday on the 18th. 24-0 was the first shutout for the New York Jets, first time being shut out in six or seven years. And they played just bad football, specifically on offense. I mean, when it comes down to it, the defense overall didn't play horrible, but they lost the game 24-0 to a division rival who isn't all that good anyway. And... It's been a tough season, 0-6 right now. This is on pace to be one of the worst Jets seasons in history. I mean, if we don't fire Adam Gase, Sam Darnold doesn't come back and reignite something, this could be the worst Jets season ever. I wasn't expecting it to be this bad. Nobody was expecting it to be this bad, I don't think. And I came back actually from a really nice weekend up in Maine. I told everybody I was going up there to grab some beer, a little personal news. While up there, I actually proposed to girlfriend Shannon... She said yes, believe it or not. She has become fiancé Shannon, henceforth known as such. And big milestone for me, great weekend. Living in, you know, I'm on cloud nine. Feels like a dream, having a great weekend, going out, eating seafood, celebrating our love together, feeling awesome. Come back on Sunday, escape the bubble of vacation happiness. 
boom, right back on there. It's, it's sushi day. It's supposed to be, you know, a continuation of happiness. Dad's got champagne. Roommate Kyle's there. It's a nice little occasion. And the Jets come out and play this flat, horrible football. I received my Sam Darnold Funko Pop, the weird little uh, action figure that I got, and I rubbed his head, as I said I would, to hope that he was going to be good luck for the New York Jets in this game. The Jets played one of the worst games I've ever seen them play, and uh, I think that devil is cursed, and I have him out of the recording room right now. So hopefully that helps a little bit. In other superstitious news, my New York Jets glass that I have was broken this morning by roommate Kyle. And so just in case that was harboring any of the the horrible, cursed, ill nature of this 2020 season, it is broken now. We're getting a new one, a replacement cup, potentially that will have more good vibes and help the Jets win. We need something. You know, it's not coming from the players. It's not coming from the coaches. You're not seeing a lot of positivity from the fan base. Let's see if the cups and if the Funko Pops can help. So we're going to look into this week. We're going to talk about the 24-0 loss to the Dolphins. I'm going to try to make this probably the fastest podcast that I've ever done for one simple reason. They don't deserve an hour and 15 minutes of evaluation because Adam Gase is doing everything that he can to make sure that the right players aren't on the field and that we aren't putting them in good positions to actually do what they're good at. It's just like we're going to watch the same six plays over and over and they're going to fail and it's going to be... Anyways, a lot of negativity right now. Let's get into some good stuff. Let's start with a little injury news because there's some good stuff coming up on the horizon, getting some players back. One, Makai Becton, first-round pick from last year, this year. He's been absolutely awesome, and he's been on the field. He looks like he's about to be an all-pro left tackle, which is one of the premium positions on a football team. Looks like we got our guy. Hopefully he gets back on the field. He's got some sort of uh, shoulder issue right now, and, of course, he played that game against the Broncos that he probably shouldn't have played. I'm not sure if the injury got worse and aggravated by that. Bad decision by Adam Gase, for sure. But it's one of those things that, like, if we can get him back, I don't know how much damage he's got done there. He potentially would be a candidate for off-season surgery if there's anything lingering, and hopefully that doesn't carry into next year. But if he can play, you know, it's it's not just about this year, of course. We're 0-6 right now. It's about getting ready for next year, making sure these guys are in good positions to succeed. Kai Becton, he's a guy that could be coming back. Sam Darnold, a lot of uh, ambiguity on his situation right now. Some people think that he's potentially going to come back soon. Others think... It may be a few more weeks. Adam Gase says it's up to the trainers. Wow, actually deferring to somebody else's opinion for the first time, it feels like. Denzel Mims has been really close to playing. He was uh, taken off of IR like two weeks ago, didn't play that week, didn't play this week. So he could potentially be coming back, and he's that. He's kind of like the X factor of this whole thing right now because as we've talked about this evaluation season, it comes down to the draft, comes down to what Joe Douglas does with the picks, and even more so when we have been trading guys like Jamal Adams and some others that I'll get to in a minute. So the picks are extremely important. That's what this whole thing is supposed to be built through. And we had one draft, 10 draft picks. And, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast many times. This whole season, make or break is on guys like Makai Becton, number one. Denzel Mims is supposed to be that wide receiver. We only got one in this draft. We wanted more. But we got one, and he hasn't played yet. So his impact is, it can't be undervalued. I mean, that's the position that we need talent and he's the guy that should be bringing it then guys like Ashton Davis Jabari Zuniga Cameron Clark Bryce Hall seeing those guys worked into the offense and defense that's going to be a big deal but a lot of injuries and and you know just coaching decisions to keep those guys on the bench I think by the end of this year you've got to be starting every one of those guys that's available to play has to be starting by the end of this year we've got to really start evaluating and see where we're at 
So hopefully getting some of those guys back, that's going to help. We had one uh, trade this week. We just traded Steve McClendon, the Wiley veteran, great New York Jet. He's had an awesome second half of his career after leaving the Steelers, coming to our team. He's been a defensive captain. He's been a role model. He's been one of those guys in the interviews on Jets postgame that you hear from time and time again, stories on one Jets drive. Steve McClendon's like a heart and soul of the defense. We trade him away along with our 2023 seventh-round pick for a sixth-round pick in 2022. So it's minimal. It's a situation where we trade him to the Buccaneers. They lose Vita Vea. They're looking to get a guy in there that can anchor the defense. Todd Bowles is familiar with him, so he wants to to grab him. At this point for the New York Jets, it's not really worth holding on to Steve McClendon because, one, he's potentially interfering with the progress of younger players like Foley Fadakasi or Quinnen Williams if he's taking snap counts away. And, two... At the age that he's at, he's not going to be on the team next year, the year after. I mean, shelf life, he's almost, you know, run his course in the NFL. So go somewhere, go fly, be free, as Le'Veon Bell escaped this team. Go be awesome with Todd Bowles. That's a good Buccaneers team, unfortunately, watching Tom Brady sucks. But uh, they got a really nice defense going right now. Happy for Todd Bowles and happy for Steve McClendon to have one more shot at something that actually means something. Another news to it. Tungabailoa has been named the starter for the Miami Dolphins. They have a bye week this week. Rams coming up after that. That's a big deal because AFC East, we got to watch our rivals. And when it comes down to it, we're going to be competing for this division with the Patriots, Bills, and Dolphins one day, hopefully soon. And depending on the competition level, you know, if he ends up being Patrick Mahomes and starts lighting it up and winning Super Bowls in his first, second year, we're going to be in a really tough spot because it gets to the point where it's like, no, you remember what the Tom Brady years were like. You don't want to go through 20 more years of another great quarterback. Hopefully Tua is not that. I will be watching intently to see how he looks coming up his first game against the Rams two weeks from now. There's a little bit of buzz about the New York Jets trading, offloading some more pieces, players that have contracts that aren't part of the future, that potentially could be, you know, we could gain some draft asset for younger players or even just save cap space for next year. A guy like Avery Williamson's name has been mentioned Linebacker Bush for the Pittsburgh Steelers was injured, probably out for the year, so it's possible Avery Williamson could land there. Don't be surprised if the New York Jets continue to trade players that you've seen on the team for a long time. They are doing, you know, if they're not part of the future of the New York Jets, 2021, 2022, I mean, there's no point in keeping them on this team for this season to try to win games. We're already 0-6. We're basically almost mathematically out of the playoffs. I mean, not at this point. You can't be, but... Best case scenario is 10 and 6 if we win 10 games in a row, which will never happen. So at this point, it's better just to accumulate draft picks, reset this thing. Joe Douglas is doing a hard reset in this rebuild. It's tank season. It's rebuild season. Joe Douglas 2022 and beyond. Don't be surprised to see Avery Williams and other guys. And it's just good business decisions at this point. Anybody you can get draft picks for that's over the age of 27, 28. If they're not under contract with the Jets and part of the future, get rid of them. And then, in other news, we will be following, as we will not be chasing the playoffs this year and talking about the playoff picture, we will be talking about the draft picture. Already in October, talking about the draft coming up next April. The New York Jets currently seated at the number one overall spot, which is exciting for the first round, but also carries, o- carries over to every other round, so we would have the first pick in the second round, basically two first-round picks. We get the Seahawks pick, so basically three. You know, if you're looking at it in that respect, it will be exciting in April. When we're running our mock drafts, we are going to have a lot of ammo to build a good team. Hopefully Joe Douglas can follow through. 
And personally, I've said it before, you know, you got that number one overall pick. You're looking at Trevor Lawrence. It's possible the New York Jets go that direction. I would rather win four games this year, draft fifth overall, take Jamar Chase at wide receiver, and build around Sam Darnold. That's my number one option. That's uh, that's not the case. If we can't win four games, we end with the first overall pick. It's going to be a tough decision for Joe Douglas. In that situation, I would hope he would trade away for a boatload of assets, trade that first pick to somebody that really wants Trevor Lawrence, like the Washington football team, and just take their first-round pick for the next three, four years. That would be killer. All right, so that's kind of the news that's going on. We can do a recap of this game. You want to talk Miami Dolphins? Let's talk Miami Dolphins. New York Jets come out in this game flat as can be. Le'Veon Bell is gone. We've got Frank Gore. So what do we do? Let's run it up the middle for most of the game. When we're not doing that, let's try to do short, dink and dunk passes with Joe Flacco. Really slow, developing plays. Slow decision-making by Joe Flacco. To some pretty bad receivers who aren't going to get open. The Dolphins will press basically all game long. Blitz Joe Flacco. He's afraid of the blitz, so he's going to run backwards most of the plays. Turf it. Get sacked for 28-yard losses, what have you. Very difficult trekking on offense. Braden Mann punts the ball 10 times in this game. The New York Jets convert two third down attempts on 17 tries. They end with 263 total yards and score zero points. That said, the defense actually played okay. We got a couple of sacks in this game, a couple of turnovers. We only gave up 24 points. There's a a touchdown-saving interception by Brian Poole to end the second half. This game could have been much higher. We had a touchdown-saving tackle by Braden Mann, our punter. Game could have been higher. Um, You know, overall, we'll talk team stats in just a minute, but, you know, it got to the point that, I mean, two is coming in and just getting a few reps against the Jets because it's a blowout. I mean, this is a, was a two and three team, the Miami Dolphins. Joe Flacco's a veteran and, and Frank Gore, but it's just, it's more of the same. It's watching Adam Gase call the same plays. We get Brashad Perriman back. We've got Jeff Smith. Big play Vincent Smith is back on the field. Thinking that maybe something can get going on offense. But it's just so one-dimensional. And it's it's tough to watch. So New York Jets get smoked 24-0. to zero. We're going to talk team stats in this one. As I mentioned, the New York Jets go 2-for-17 on third down. Believe it or not, the Dolphins go 1-for-9. I mean, it was terrible. Took until the fourth quarter before a team even converted a third down. The Jets have 263 total yards. The Dolphins only have 302. The Dolphins only had 110 rushing yards, less than the Jets' 115, and they only had 192 passing yards, more than the Jets' 148. So it really wasn't a big, uh, they didn't have a ton of huge plays. They had that one big pass to Shaheen. They had a couple decent, you know, gainers by Gaskin, but they didn't have a ton of huge plays in this one. It's, again, that Greg Williams style, Ben, don't break. Give them the soft throws. Let them run for seven. Let them convert for eight. Don't give up the 40-yarder. And, you know, it worked to the 224 points. The goal of this is if you're going to give up, if you're going to keep a team to 24 points, you know, score 24 points or more, and then it works pretty well. Of course, this week it didn't. The New York Jets, again, seven penalties, 80 yards. Three of those were personal fouls. So the New York Jets have had discipline issues all season long. Coming really to light since the Broncos game and beyond. Again this week, a big problem. 31 minutes for the New York Jets with the ball. 28 minutes for the Dolphins. We had the ball for 69 plays and 31 minutes. 
and couldn't do anything with it. Instead, we punted 10 times. The reason we have it for so long is because basically we choose to run the ball up the middle time and time again. 3.8 yards per play for the Jets in this one. Tough sledding. Tough, tough sledding. The good news is, if you want a bright spot, the bright spot is Joe Flacco is not supposed to be the quarterback of the New York Jets, and as soon as Sam Darnold is ready, he will not be. And guys like Jeff Smith are not supposed to be starting, or Chuma Adoga, or Frank Gore. And when these guys get replaced by younger players with a little bit more juice in the tank, the team will look a little bit more energized. But until then, this game plan that Adam Gase has, it ain't working. We talked last week, actually, about the possibility of Adam Gase passing up play-calling duties to somebody else, somebody perhaps that had a different idea or take on the team. I guess after a meeting with his inferiors, Adam Gase came to the realization that he was the best man for the job. The team, the people that work for him, also agreed. You know, hey, Adam, you are the right guy, probably because they want to keep their job, so you say what he wants to hear. He keeps calling the plays, and that was a mistake. So that is team stats. We're going to go over to individual player performances, as ugly as a lot of them were. Offense, defense, special teams. But first, got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right. What's on tap. And I told you I was going to be drinking something special this week. Started last week with a heady topper. This week, go up to Maine. Wonderful weekend with fiance Shannon. And we go to two amazing breweries, Maine Brewing our main beer company, and Bissell Brothers. And I got my pre-order in for Bissell Brothers. I got a bunch of stuff that I'm going to be probably drinking over the next few weeks because I ended up bringing a bunch of beers, and I traded some for some treehouse beers with fiancé Shannon's father. And, you know, it's it's snowballing into a huge beer of double IPAs and uh, high-alcohol IPAs. But today, I'm drinking one I never had before that I got at Bissell Brothers called the Substance Ale. This is a 1.6.6% ale. This is one of their staples. A lot of times that you go up to Bissell Brothers, they don't always have their really rare beers available. But Substance is one that is frequently on their list, and it's a good beer. It's it's solid. It's an IPA. It's as good as any other 6.6 IPA. It's got that Sea Hag style flavor. You know, it's not like a Sea Hag. It doesn't blow your mind, but it's just re it's just really good. It's really solid. It's got that flavor profile, and uh, it's a good one. I got a couple more of these, a couple more of some other ones. We'll be enjoying it. The Jets games are becoming better and better places to drink. I think that this game is probably the most. I told you I had the champagne with my dad, and I had some of these beers at the game. I think this is the most I ever drank for a New York Jets game because it got to, like, the second half, and I just didn't care. I'm making bets with roommate Kyle. Like, if the New York Jets... Don't score a point in this game. I'll take two shots of Jim Beam. And, you know, there was a point at the end of the game, like two minutes and 20 seconds left, where we're on like the six-yard line. And I'm sure third down, we got a chance. I'm sure that the Jets are going to get a touchdown here. Kyle's going to be taking two shots. But no, Joe Flacco airmails it out of the end zone and then does it again, throws it to the middle of the end zone, misses a, a little wheel route to the running back and, Ball game over. New York Jets score no points. Dan takes two shots and drinks more than he ever intended on drinking. And that's okay. Because that's the 2020 Jets. All right. Before moving over to offense, quick commercial. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back. We are going to talk offense of the Jets, starting with our quarterback, Joe Flacco. He has a rough one in this game. It's becoming so apparent what the New York Jets are trying to do. Short throws to receivers that don't get open, you know, trying to not put too much pressure on the offensive line by getting the ball out early and runs up the middle that basically the Dolphins are doing like press man and bringing so many players. There's play after play where they got nine guys on the line. They're sending five, six, seven guys to make Joe Flacco uncomfortable. He's not doing anything quickly, reading the defense quickly, getting the ball out of his hand quickly, throwing it away quickly. And so what do you do? You just keep flustering him, keep throwing people at him time and time again. Stack that line, jam those receivers. Don't let them get off on their breaks for their quick little five-yard routes. 21 for 44, Joe Flacco is under 50%. He's got a 50 quarterback rating with no touchdowns, one interception, and a total of 186 yards passing. Now, he threw for 186 yards, but the team has 148 yards passing because he took 38 yards worth of negative plays in sacks on only three. One of them was was either a 26 or a 28-yard loss on a third down that he just kept running backwards. It gets to the point where we've seen this time and time again from Joe Flacco. When he decides that he's trying to escape a blitz and run backwards and twists his hips, he doesn't ever throw the ball to a player down the field. He always ends up throwing it away or getting sacked. You would hope that he would learn this and realize that these plays don't ever, you know, become something magical like it does for Sam Darnold from time to time. That doesn't ever happen. So why not just throw it away on that initial, oh, I'm about to turn my hips. Let's just find a guy, turf it at his feet, move on to the next play. Instead, he just keeps running backwards. He's not faster than anybody. He's not looking downfield to make a play. There is no good end game. He gets sacked for 38 negative yards. 50 quarterback rating. Listen, Joe Flacco is better than Luke Falk. He's better than... David fails. He's been better than what Trevor Simeon looked like in the half that he played last year. He's better than Mike White and Captain Morgan, I have to think. But the sooner that we can get him off the field and get Sam Darnold back on, the sooner we can have some sort of semblance of an offense. Because you could say what you want about Sam Darnold being down this year. I mean, if this Joe Flacco performance scored 10 points combined over his two starts... If that's not an indication of the talent level that we have on this team, and and most importantly, the game plans that we're running up on offense. I mean, that's where we're at. Running game, Frank Gore running up the middle time and time again. He was 11 carries, 46 yards. That's a 4.2-yard average, and it looks like a decent game running. He had some negative plays in there. Um, it's very predictable, the running lanes that he chooses and and what we're doing with him. I think he likes running up the middle personally, but in reality, he had like three runs that were combined for like 28, 29 yards. So most of that 46 yards came on those. Michael Pirine's a guy that we want to get more involved in the offense. Now that Le'Veon Bell's gone, he's the guy that we drafted this year that was supposed to come in and like, you know, some fresh legs, maybe a little juice. Adam Gase is afraid to use him for whatever reason. 
He gets seven carries, 27 yards. Not a huge performance from him. He had two receptions for nine yards. Still haven't really seen him in the open field yet this year, and that's something I'm looking forward to seeing, just how fast he is, what kind of moveset he has. But he did have a 13-yard run. I still like LaMichael Pirine. I think that, in reality, it makes way more sense to give Pirine the lion's share of the carries and have Frank give him the breaks. But if you don't even want to give it to Frank Gore, I would be fine giving it to this next guy, who ends up being our offensive player of the week in this game, and that's one Ty Johnson. Who? Ty Johnson. He came in from the Detroit Lions. He was drafted in the sixth round last year, similar to uh, an Eli McGuire story, right? A sixth-round draft pick. He was their guy from last year. They ended up getting rid of him. The New York Jets take him. He plays in this game for four plays. On those four plays, he gets past the ball, wants target, and no catches. But he gets three carries, one of those for 34 yards. Three carries, 42 yards on four offensive snaps. And I'm not saying this guy's going to do it every week, but he's like a 4-3-4-4 speed running back, super fast, had some really good college numbers, and he does have some potential. He could potentially be some sort of lightning bug for the New York Jets, a second third running back, scat back kind of guy that could be involved in the offense, maybe a Giovanni Bernard or Darren Sproles type or something. Not entirely sure. It's going to be hard to find out with a guy like Adam Gase calling the plays. But if we could get Frank Gore, listen, I love Frank Gore. I love his career. I want him to do well. Happy for him. I want him to still, you know, get a couple carries a game. I don't want to just completely phase him out. Just more for his own just, like, pride. But Pirine and Ty Johnson... Let's get these guys carries. I'm talking 15 to 20 carries for the two of them combined every week and see what we've got here so that we know if we have to draft a a running back in round one, two, or three next year or if we have to sign one in free agency. Hopefully not something like the Bell contract. So Ty Johnson, believe it or not, comes in here, 34 yards, big play. You remember it off the left side. We were screaming. We were yelling. It was the longest run by a running back of the New York Jets this season. We always, we always talked about it. Frank Gore breaks off no big runs. Le'Veon Bell never breaks off a big run his entire time with the Jets. And P. Ryan, we haven't seen in the open field. Ty Johnson, four offensive snaps, open field, 34 yards. He is our offensive player of the game, and I hope that we see more of him, more of P. Ryan moving forward. That's a big deal. Moving over to the receiving game. Rashad Perriman is back this week. He mixes with Jameson Crowder to be the only two starting wide receivers. There's, you know, scheduled starting wide receivers for the New York Jets back on the field. See what they can do. Perriman struggles early. The game starts. Flacco throws two deep balls to Perriman on the first and second drive of the game. You know, when Perriman is your number one outside wide receiver and you're playing against a team like the Dolphins, you're getting matched up with a Byron Jones. And Byron Jones is way better than Perriman. So Byron Jones wins those matchups. Perriman is having a slow game. He doesn't read them right. He's not the same guy as Robbie, right? He's got the same speed as Robbie. He can run the same routes as Robbie. Physically, it looks like he's as good or better. But he doesn't track the ball the same in the air. He doesn't have the same strong hands. And he's just not a good deep ball receiver. He drops the ball. He's got low catch percentages his time in the NFL. And that's something that Robbie Anderson was actually pretty good at, considering how deep the ball was thrown to him, his efficiency on a lot of those was impressive. Perriman, it was, you were just watching like a guy that wasn't tracking the ball right, didn't have good hands. What are you doing down there? He ends with four catches for 62 yards. He ends up getting like 40 yards in the fourth quarter, under seven minutes to go. 
not important. It was pre-event defense, Dolphins up 24-0. So don't read too much into Perriman's four-reception, 62-yard game. Jamison Crowder, he's the guy that the offense has been running through every single game that he's on the field. He came into this game leading the entire NFL in yards per game, receiving yards per game. This game, he gets 13 targets, but he only gets seven receptions as long as 13 yards. Totals 48 yards in the game. And you could tell. I mean, Brian Flores of the Dolphins is a defensive coach that's been familiar with the New York Jets, this division, all the players in it for a long time. He knows how to stop the New York Jets offense right now. That's Jameson Crowder. So they shadowed him pretty tight, made sure they didn't get too deep downfield. If you're going to give the ball to him, make it a five-yard pass. The New York Jets will probably run it after that and not pick up the first down anyway. So that's what they did. Seven catches, 48 yards. Tough sledding, but, you know, he's still the leading reception receiver on the team. Gore threw in four catches, 24 yards. Barrios had one nice catch where he uh, caught the ball about nine yards. Two defenders hit each other. He squirted down, ran up the field. That was a nice play. Didn't have much activity after that. Ryan Griffin, two catches for 17 yards. Not very exciting, but when you compare that to Chris Herndon's zero catches for zero yards, it's a lot more impressive. Also, the fact that Chris Herndon played over 60% of snaps in this game and Ryan Griffin was under 40%. So still, they're leading on Chris Herndon more often. And still, Chris Herndon is silent from the offense. Ryan Griffin, 2 for 17. I mean, that's a good tight end game for the Jets this year. Jeff Smith, the guy that was kind of stepping up for the New York Jets, in the absence of some other players looking fast in the field, he only had one catch for eight yards, was targeted four times. One ball was intercepted that was thrown to him. Um, he had a, tr- a tough game. I mean, when you got Byron Jones on one guy like Piran, the other outside receiver, Jeff Smith, is being guarded by Xavier Howard. That's a tough assignment. It's just a tough across the board. Flacco to Jeff Smith with Xavier Howard in coverage and these players bearing down on a five, six-man blitz. It's just a tough assignment all game long. The other receiver... That is missing from the list, missing from the box score, Vincent Smith. I've referred to him as Big Play Vince because last year when he was on the field, he made things happen. He hasn't played this year yet because he had a core injury. Back from IR, eligible to play, ready to go. Comes in this week. Believe it or not, I hate to do this. But Big Play Vincent Smith this week is Doghouse Smith. He's going in the doghouse because of his performance. No receptions. He only had five offensive snaps, I believe. He had no receptions, an offensive penalty, and in the special teams game on a kickoff, he was a guy that was consistently getting, you know, 25-plus yard kick returns, sometimes 40 yards last year. That's part of the big plays he was getting. In this game, he gets an opportunity after going over his head, going over his head. He's like, you know what? Let's take this one out. He drops the ball, bobbles it, picks it up, gets tackled at the seven-yard line. Terrible return. He had a penalty. I mean, he was barely involved in the game plan at all. And everything that he did hurt the New York Jets. And that's not what I was expecting. I'm an advocate for this guy. I've been wanting him back on the field. He was my, in the offseason, he was my offensive X-factor player for the Jets. And he comes out. Now, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. I'm putting him in the doghouse. We're not taking him out of there. But I'm going to say that he's rusty. This was a fluke game. One bad one. Yeah, we get it. We own it. But moving forward, get that rust off. That NFL game speed back in your head. Maybe he gets back to the big play Vince that we knew and loved. So that is our receivers, our offensive line. It was all right. I mean, we ran this game. It was 5.2 yards per carry. 
sacked three times, 115 rushing yards. The offensive line, it's not great. There are players that need to be replaced. Alex Lewis is the biggest one. We obviously have to get Makai Becton back. He over Chuma Doga is a big upgrade. But it's not anywhere near as bad as it was last year. The offensive line last year was pitiful. I mean, when Sam Darnold was out, there was a game where Luke Falk, David Fells combined for like eight or nine times being sacked. Sure, they weren't getting the balls out of their hand quickly. But the offensive line was just rough, rough. And it's not that bad this year. It's taken steps in the right direction. That was a focus point for Joe Douglas. One of the few places that we actually did address in the offseason with something bigger than a one-year contract was the offensive line. It's not great. There's still work to be done. When Mekhi Becton's back on the field, it will look better. But it is taking steps in the right direction. And it's an important part of this team. I mean, if we're going to see success from Sam Darnold or any other quarterback, P. Ryan, Ty Johnson, or any other running back, it's going to be behind a pretty good offensive line if there's any consistency to it. So that is our offense. Now, before moving over to the defense, I want to do a little father time because my dad had something he wanted to say about one Adam Gase this week. So today is Father Time, written by David Burnham. Here we go. Adam Gase had his chance, and someday between next Monday and the end of Week 17, he will be fired. I was willing to give him a chance, but he needs to go, and the experiment failed. Why did Adam Gase fail? What didn't he provide? First, leadership. Yes, NFL players are professionals, but they're young and need encouragement and clear, confident communication. Gase gives positional assignments and simply expects execution. Fire. The players need someone who cares as much as they do, who works the refs, who points out bad calls, and publicly backs up his players on and off the field. I think of Mike Tomlin, Sean McVay, Don Shula, and John Madden. Bringing energy to the sideline that transmits to the field at practice and game day. Next, innovation. This is a big one. Adam Gase has no new thoughts and has not evolved as a coach. His play calling is easy to guess and boring to watch. Modern offenses are dynamic and fun to play. Andy Reid comes to mind. Adaptability. A coach that can coach to team strength and weaknesses. Not just strength and weaknesses of the Jets, but of the opposing team. Adapting every Sunday. Plus halftime adjustments are crucial to success. Gase doesn't do it. But Bill Belichick is the best at it. There's an asterisk next to Bill Belichick, I will note out, probably because he's a cheater. Likeability and approachability. I think that the majority of the Jets don't like Gates and would rather just avoid him. Heck, you might get cut or lose your job, so keep your head down. You can't communicate well if you're not liked and respected. Have you seen a high five, a handshake for a good play, tap on the head for a job well done, ever? I think players actually like Pete Carroll, and I see John Harbaugh, have you seen the way he works with Lamar Jackson during a game? They really like each other. These are missing traits by the current head coach of the New York Jets. And no one likes a finger pointer, and that's what he does. Go Jets. End scene. Goosebumps. I mean, bang. He just cut and dry. Adam Gay sucks. This is why. Lacking in leadership, fire, innovation, adaptability, likability, and approachability. Those are some pretty important things. Those are kind of the things that you look for in a head coach. He doesn't have any of them. He doesn't have the ability to game plan, 
strategy. He doesn't have the ability to be liked by people or respected by people. It's horrible. He's a bad combination, and my dad hit the nail on the head. Listen, I think we all know Adam Gase, unless, unless Woody Johnson and Chris Johnson do something so astronomically stupid, unless that happens, Adam Gase is dead man walking. Question is, as Dad said, does he get fired now or right after week 17? That remains to be determined, but he is a bad coach. He failed, and it's pretty obvious to point at the things that he did wrong. That is why, you know, and like my dad, you know, I gave him benefit of the doubt at first as well because you never know. Sometimes you're on the right team. You know, Bill Belichick was not a good Browns coach. Comes to the Patriots, he wasn't a good Jets coach either. He comes to the Patriots, finds success, the right team around him, people to understand, it works together. Great. Now, Adam Gates isn't Bill Belichick, but I'm not going to say that three seasons as a head coach means X about you, right? Could be situation, could be circumstance. So I gave him benefit of the doubt. That is gone. That is long gone. And right now, I think we wish we had Todd Bowles as our head coach. As little as he said, as little as he inspired, and as few halftime adjustments adjustments as he had, definitely better than what we got right now. So that is Father Time. Thank you, Dad, for the submission. I look forward to seeing what you got in the upcoming weeks. I know these are getting harder and harder to write. We appreciate every one of them. Before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, commercial. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All righty, welcome back. And here we go, defensive side of the ball. We will start with the defensive line. Quinn Williams is getting the most snaps on that line. He had a pretty good game in this one. One tackle for a loss. He had a pass deflection, five tackles. Solid game from him. Two other guys that stand out in this game specifically. Bryce Huff, who had minimal snaps in this game, but still made his presence felt. And one, Kyle Phillips, who was a good player last year. He's been quiet for the last couple of weeks. He actually had a good game in this game. Really nice tackle for loss. He had three tackles in this. He actually had two tackles for loss, three tackles in this game, and he stood out. I think when you look at the other guys, you've got Steve McClendon, no longer with the Jets. You've got Nathan Shepard, didn't play a single defensive snap in this game. He's basically been phased out of the defense. Henry Anderson has been just so quiet. I mean, that nobody will trade for Henry Anderson, I can promise you. But that's the type of guy that, if we could move on from him, ASAP, be doing the whole organization a favor for 2021, 2022, and beyond. If you could get anything for him, amazing. We had two sacks in this game I mentioned. One of them came from Bryce Huff. Nice play from him. Good to see. Like I said, he's like under 30% of snaps, but he's making plays. He's an undrafted rookie. I mean, this is a guy that could potentially be a piece moving forward. Bryce Huff, two good games so far. Maybe three. The other sack came from Terrell Basham. He had a sack. He had another nice tackle in this game. Solid game from him. Going over to the linebackers. It's been a kind of quiet year for the linebackers. The other outside guy, Jordan Jenkins, he is just MIA as well. He has been phased out of this defense. He plays up and down. Some weeks he gets more snaps than others, but regardless of how many he gets, 
his impact is minimal obsolete. Neville Hewitt and Avery Williamson are taking a bunch of snaps in the middle. They're okay at best, both of them. Avery Williamson is not what he was before the injury. He's all right. If we could offload that contract and get any sort of pick for him, even a sixth rounder, I would be all for it. We may be getting Patrick on Wasser back. If he could play inside linebacker, you might not even have a step back at the position. Harvey Lange still getting snaps. I don't know what the deal is with that. Talking about cornerback, Blashawn Austin came back in this game. He played all right. When it came down to it, you look at the Dolphins, they didn't have any really big passes. They had that one to Adam Shaheen, that 43-yarder where he squirted up the middle on a seam. But Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, Mike Jasicki, he had no catches. I mean, those guys weren't getting big plays. And overall, it's the game plan that the New York Jets have, not getting pressure after the quarterback. It's very difficult to cover in those situations when you're trying not to let the deep ball beat you and you're not getting after the quarterback. You basically give up, whatever. But LaShawn Austin had a decent game. I know Lamar Jackson gave up a touchdown, but he's doing all right considering the fact that he's thrown in there as an undrafted rookie. Um, Pierre Desir actually had a decent play in this game, a nice tackle for a loss on a screen pass. And they only had 200 yards passing, so they didn't torch us in that department. Brian Poole, he had a really nice interception, and uh, that saved points. It was going in to the half. Dolphins run about the 20-yard line, minute to go. They had the opportunity to score. Brian Poole intercepts that ball. We don't score, of course, but we kept them from doing it. Kept the score down a little bit. That was a big play, his second pick of the year. He almost had a third in this game. If he had the third, he would have been our defensive player of the game, but he's not. Instead, it's one of the safeties, Marcus May. You remember him, star of the game week one of this season? He's back at it. And why? Two reasons. The first one, as I mentioned, no big plays. Free safety playing in this game, not giving up the big play, making sure that the players stay in front of you other than the Shaheen play. He did have a few tackles in this game, but the big one was the interception. And they're trying to spin it as a negative because this whole Jets team is a laughing stock. We'll call it the butt interception. I'll kind of like a playoff the butt fumble and try to compare it to something that was really stupid that happened. This was a great play. He It was a deep ball. He played great safety, jumped in front of it, Tipped the ball up, rolled around on his thigh, butt, behind his back, grabbed it, cradled it. They called him down. He might not have been. It's possible he could return that thing for like 30, 40 yards. But that was a highlight play. That was great reading the deep part of the defense by the safety. And, you know, they take shots like that. That was, I think it was, I want to say fourth quarter. You know, they want to try to keep running up the score in a 24-0 game and taking big shots downfield. Fine. Marcus Mays, the guy back there. So that was a big play. He gets... Our special teams, or I'm sorry, he gets our defensive player of the game. He is special, but he's not on special teams. Bradley McDougald, pretty quiet. He's only got a one-year deal with the Jets. Frankly, we won't miss him. He can go. I mean, I was rooting for him coming in, but you played six, seven games for the Jets so far. Six. Um, your impact has been very minimal. There's not much that a player at his age on a one-year deal could do that would make me think about shelling out a bunch of money to sign him to another contract. Unless he wants to come back as like, you know, a really cheap guy, rejoin this defense if for any reason he just wants to remain a New York Jet. Maybe he bought a house. That's maybe the one thing that could keep him here. Um, otherwise, it's probably, probably just one-year rental, basically part of that Jamal Adams trade. I'd like to get Ashton Davis mixed in more. I mean, he's not really playing... 
I'd like to listen. It's very possible that he'll blow it, that he'll give up a big play, that he'll make a huge mistake, a bad penalty, miss a tackle. He's a rookie. That's what they do. But let's get it out now when we're losing 24 to zero because he's going to get better. He needs time on the field to get better. And it's possible that maybe he could add a spark. Are we so content with what we've got right now that we don't want to go through the risk of trying a young guy and allowing him to improve? It doesn't make any sense to me. So at some point, let's get him some more playing time. All right, we got special teams. We got to pick a special teams player of the game. You can start with the guy who would spend consistently, and that's Sam Ficken. But he misses a kick in this game, his only attempt. And technically, you know, not technically, if he made that kick, we wouldn't have gotten shot out. That would have felt slightly better. Now, it was a far kick. It was 55-yarder after some mental errors by Joe Flacco. So you think to yourself, 55 yards, you don't necessarily expect a guy to make 55 yards. I'm not surprised that he missed 55 yards. It doesn't make him a bad kicker to miss from 55 yards. But what it means is that he's been perfect all season, and he's not had a lot of really far kicks. He's not had any 55-yarders yet this year. He hasn't had any game-tying kicks or game-winning kicks. No big pressure ones. We're just losing, and he's kicking from 30 yards, and he's making them all. The real test is when you get some sort of adversity, a really far kick, the end of the game. That You know, it doesn't mean that he's no good, but it means that he's not on track for some, you know, Pro Bowl Jason Myers season most likely, unless something happens and he starts just firing out deep kicks. Um, anyways... He's not going to be player of the game for that. Return game, we mentioned Vincent Smith. His return game, the only kick return in the entire game, got him in the doghouse for that bobbled seven-yard kick return. No punt returns in this one. So who's left? We could go Matthias Farley. He had a decent gunning play. Jav uh, Javelin Guidry, he had a decent gunning play as well. But we're going to go with our guy, Braden Mann. Not because he punted 10 times. Not because he punted for 462 yards. It was a 46.2-yard average. 54 was his long. He didn't have any inside the 20, which is kind of, you know, you got 10 kicks, but the Jets don't move the ball far enough downfield to even be punting into that range. But the big play in this one was the tackle. This is the second time this year that he's made, like, a touchdown-saving tackle. That's pretty badass. I mean, he's not the greatest punter in the world. He's not a huge step up from Locke Edwards, maybe even a step down so far this year from what we've seen. I do expect he's going to get better. I do expect that his best football is ahead of him. He's got a ton of natural skill, but the tackles, that's stuff that Lock Edwards couldn't do. And it's, I mean, listen, you're losing 24-0, so it's not like you saved the game, but you're a prideful special teams player, and it's your punt, and you don't want this guy taking a house on you, and you're getting your head in there and making a dirty tackle. You know, not dirty in uh, the negative sense, but dirty like, you know, an awesome tackle. He gets player of the game. So Braden Mann, his first ever player of the game. Special teams for the New York Jets. Congratulations to him. Somebody should, we should mail him something or, or email him. Let him know that he got a an award. He's probably pretty down on the season so far. Although he does get to get a lot of work in this year. Okay, so that is our special teams. The only thing left to talk about is our upcoming game next week and when we do that we can just talk about a quick AFC East check-in because we've been doing that all year not because we're excited about any of the information I'm about to share but because we're in the AFC East and let's just see what's going on New England Patriots lose to the Broncos 12 to 18 
They're two and three right now. They're like one of the worst teams in the league. They're right ahead of the Bengals. They're actually below the Broncos because they lost to them. I mean, I know it's only five games for them, but not a good start. And really nice to see them struggling like this, scoring 12 points. Miami Dolphins are 3-3 three and three after beating us, so they're ahead of the Patriots. That's exciting. They actually have a plus 47 point differential, believe it or not, and a two-game winning streak, and they're switching to Tua Tungabailoa. I don't think it makes any sense. The only reason that they're switching to Tua Tungabailoa is because Ryan Fitzpatrick is not taking them to the promised land anytime soon. He may take them to the playoffs if he keeps playing, but he's not winning any Super Bowls, and he's not coming back. You know, He's not going to be there two years from now starting. Two, because they got the bye week, and it's a nice two-week gap to do a really long game plan. Tonga Bailoa, he's a rookie, has a long, you know, much harder time processing game plans and trying to figure stuff out, a little wet behind the ears, not the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick can just see stuff. Yeah, I know what we're doing here. It makes sense. We're doing this. He's got to play against the Rams. Tough assignment, but he's got two weeks to prep for him, so two is going to come in. we got to monitor him and see whether he's one of those guys that just catapults the Dolphins to the top of the division for the next 10 years, or whether he's just another guy. Buffalo Bills, they've lost two games in a row. They play a sloppy, wet, rainy game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They lose that one. They're 4-2 and two now, and that's who we play next week. So they lead the division. They want to get back on track. They are pissed off losing two games in a row, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football. They want to go to 5-2, and two, prove that they're still the best team in this AFC East, make sure that the Patriots and Dolphins can't catch up ground, and just kind of get yourself back on track, beating up on the worst team in the league. The New York Jets. So we got that coming up next week. That's probably going to be an absolute mess. Let's be honest. The Bills beat us week one, and it actually was, what, 17-27? It looked like a closer game than it was. We actually got beat up pretty bad, but we lost by 10. We would be lucky to lose by 10 in this game, and I don't know the injury situations. Things could change. Makai Becton would change things, you know, not to a win, but he would make the offense better, and he would make some running lanes that we won't have without him. I think that Denzel Mims... I don't expect much from him. I think that we got to temper our expectations. I know I hype him up a lot. We all do. Roommate Kyle bought a Denzel Mims jersey. Never even seen the guy play. But we're all excited about him. He's the guy. You know, we watched him. We watched his highlights at Baylor. We knew him coming in. He was snagged him. But he's still a rookie. He's coming back from an injury. This team is terrible. Temper expectations. If he doesn't do well, if he does return, it doesn't mean the end of the world. He's not Stephen Hill if he has a bad three games this year. All right, he can start slow. Work him into the offense. Just get healthy, and let's see flashes. Not talking about full games. Talking about a play here, a play there. If you can do that, you got to be ecstatic. We also have the possibility of Sam Darnold coming back. I think, I think it's a long shot. I don't think that it sounds from the reports like he's trending towards being back, but we record these podcasts on Tuesday, and a lot happens before... Sunday, we got five games before four days. What am I saying? We've got five days before that. It's this this substance ale. It's just so drinkable. It's getting to me. My apologies. So we got five days before that. A lot can change. We'll see what happens with the New York Jets roster, active players. Of course, it'll be a much, much easier game to watch. You've got Darnold, Beckton, and Mims out there. If you don't, if you're remaining with Jeff Smith as a starter, with Chuma Adoga on the left or right, and Joe Flacco, you're probably going to be in for a really rough game. Whatever the Dolphins could do to us, the Bills could do more. 
And Josh Allen's struggling a little bit recently. I'd like to keep him down. You know, I want to win these games. I want to beat the Bills. They're a rival. I want to not. I don't want Josh Allen to become some monster in the AFC. The first four weeks of the season, he's trending towards MVP top ten, and it's like, okay, let's slow the roll here. All right, we don't need Josh Allen becoming that good. All right, if he wants to be some mediocre Andy Dalton level quarterback for ten years, who like sometimes beats us and sometimes not, that's fine. Keeps them from like turning over and potentially finding that star. But we don't need star quarterbacks in this division as the New York Jets are trying to get their stuff sorted out. You know, I, I like to imagine that when we do get our stuff sorted out in 2022, that it will still be a somewhat open division. That Tua Tungavailoa, anybody from the Patriots, and Josh Allen haven't just taken it by storm and just commanded it as, you know, their kings of this division. So I want to beat the Bills. But I don't think we can beat the Bills. I mean, everything inside of me says there's no chance we beat the Bills. But there's that little part inside of me that's like, we could beat the Bills, right? I mean, it's football. You get the right players back. The ball breaks the right way. Somehow, you've seen that before. You've seen the New York Jets have a horrible game, play against the Bengals last year, and be like, what are they doing? And they can come out and play some game against, you know, the Washington, at that time, Redskins, and just play amazing football for four quarters. And you're like, where was this team? Where were they when we needed them against a team that's arguably even worse than this? Inconsistency. I mean, that's something that's very, very prevalent in bad football teams, poorly coached football teams. The Jets have been so, so bad that they're not even inconsistent. They're consistently horrible, but it's possible. The chips fall the right way. Stuff kind of snowballs. Josh Allen struggles. Bills have some injuries. Jets get some guys back, and maybe, just maybe, they can pull it off. I will be hoping for it. I'll be rooting for it, and uh, I'll be back here next Tuesday to talk about it and let you know, win or lose. If the Jets lose this game 42-0, to I'm going to be here. I'm sticking by this New York Jets team. I understand if you don't, but I got too much emotionally invested in this. And believe it or not, it doesn't hurt me all that much. I'm still able to stay optimistic and look forward to the next season. And I see the plan for 2021 and 2022. And I think that we're, in some regards, primed and prepped for a really good future. I know it's really hard to see, but that's just what I believe in my heart of hearts. And I want to watch, evaluate, see these guys play. I'll be back every week, every Tuesday to talk about them. So I don't think I mentioned it, but wherever you find this podcast, rate, review, subscribe, always helps me out. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for some more cool information or Jets thoughts throughout the week and whatnot. And until next week, let's crush the Buffalo Bills. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 